Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin momentarily. And we will step out of Genesis a time or two, but mostly we'll just kind of be looking right here in this Old Testament account. And we're going to kind of just follow the same pattern as this morning. Going to use an Old Testament story uh, to build some principles and some things for us to think about even as we live under the New Covenant today. Some good things that we can learn from the book of Genesis this evening. I'll join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody tonight. Hope that you've had a pleasant afternoon. It's been just a beautiful and gorgeous spring-like day. Hope you've been able to enjoy this day, maybe even be outside a little bit. Uh, but it's been a good day, and I trust that you are ready now to spend just a little bit of time in the Word of God as we close out this day of worship. I invite you to read with me, if you will, several verses here in Genesis chapter 6. Very familiar account, but it is worth us reading. In Genesis 6, beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, These are the generations... Of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower and a second and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. What an incredible ship Noah and his family had constructed. In many ways, those few verses that we just read probably don't do justice to how impressive that boat must have been. Don't you wish that you could have seen the ark? Get to see it with your own two eyes? What would it have been like to be on that boat? Maybe just to take a tour of Noah's ark. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Well, this evening I'm going to invite you to do just that. And in fact... I'm going to be your tour guide, if you will. And you might be asking, well, Josh, what makes you qualified to be a tour guide of Noah's Ark? Well, this past Monday, Tiffany and Hattie and myself, we had the opportunity to see and to walk around on Noah's Ark. Now, maybe I should clarify, we didn't actually walk around on Noah's Ark. Instead, we traveled up north on I-75 and went to Williamstown, Kentucky, and we visited that life-size attraction that is found there known as the Ark Encounter. 
those who don't know, and I'm going to hope that most of you know, but the Ark Encounter is an exhibit that is owned and operated by the people behind the Answers in Genesis Foundation. That is the same group of people who built and operate the Creation Museum in Petersburg, Kentucky. And their mission with this particular exhibit was to build a life-size replica of Noah's Ark and to do that as close to the biblical pattern as possible. It was an enormously ambitious project on their part. A lot of people even said, you're never going to do it. You'll never get it done. It cost over $100 million to build. The planning and the construction for the ark took nearly six whole years. But they got it done. And it is a remarkable exhibit. I know at least a couple of others have been to it as well, and they would probably say the same thing. Now, before I go any further this evening, let me give you just... Let me give you just a little bit of fine print. First and foremost, you need to know and you need to understand that that ark encounter, it is a business. And their business is to get people to come and to look and to tour through the ark and to pay money to do that. Tickets for an adult are $48. That's a good chunk of change if you're taking a full-size family. Tiffany and I, we were the beneficiaries of some vouchers And on top of that, Hattie's under the age of five, and they still get in free. So with the exception of paying $10 for parking, we got in free that day. And we count ourselves very, very fortunate to have that happen to us. However, you should know that just because we got in free that day, that does not mean that this sermon is intended to be some kind of a paid advertisement for the Ark Encounter. Nor, I should tell you this as well, nor am I even endorsing everything that is said and taught or even believed by the people at the Ark Encounter. In fact, there are some things about the Ark Encounter that I would have pretty clear disagreements about, particularly some things about salvation. If you've ever been to the Creation Museum before, the Ark is kind of similar. When you kind of get to the end of the tour, they want to start laying out some things about salvation and this is how you are saved. And I would have some very clear and obvious disagreements about those things. But even having said that, I would tell you this. Those folks at the Ark Encounter, they take the Bible very Seriously. They believe the Bible to be the literal Word of God. And they believe that Genesis teaches that Noah literally built that boat. And that there was a literal worldwide flood. And that all of the events recorded in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8, that those things literally happened. And I'm thankful that those folks believe that. Now certainly if you tour the exhibit, you'll find that there are certain places that they took some liberties. In fact, they had to take some liberties in some respects. The Bible, for example, does not describe everything about the interior of the ark. Maybe some things that we'd like to know, like, well, what was the family living quarters? What did that space look like? And how did that all work? Well, the ark folks, they did some research about that, thinking about the history and the time and the place of those sorts of things. And they would then come up with the best representation of what those things might have looked like. But they were always very clear in all of their signage, in all of their displays, in all of their narration, that this is merely a possible representation. That this is what these things might have looked like. In fact, when you first walk into the Ark Encounter, you'll see this on the wall. There's a big disclaimer there about how they used some artistic license to try and fill in some of those various gaps that the Bible does not specifically say. And the truth is, we do the same thing whenever we read the Bible, don't we? 
In our imaginations we do that. The Bible may not clarify, this is how that looked, and here's what the setting looked like, and all of those sorts of things. But in our mind, we think about that, and we picture what that might have looked like. And the Ark Encounter folks, I appreciate that they were very upfront about that, that any time that they were departing from what the text says, they'd say, hey, this is something that we believe, this is how that could have been, this is how it might have looked. And I appreciated that very much. And so, what did that encounter at the Ark, what did it impress upon me as we were there last Monday afternoon? What maybe did I see and some things that were kind of re-brought to my attention that helped me to appreciate even more this old story that even the very youngest of hearts that are within this assembly, they could tell us all the details about and they can recite this story from front to back. What did this particular encounter do for me? Well, there were three big takeaways from our visit to the Ark Encounter that I'd really like to just share with you this evening. And I want to press you with all three of these things. I'm going to then make those things personal to all of us tonight. And the first of those things is the thing that was probably just the most overwhelming for me to realize. And that is this. And that is that Noah, he must have been an incredibly faithful individual. God told Noah in those verses that we just read, to construct this giant vessel. In fact, to call it a boat really isn't even good terminology. It's not something that he was designed to steer and he could drive this around on the lake. No, it's just a big box in the middle of the water. And he instructed him to build that according to the blueprint, to the instructions that are found there in verses 14 and 15 and 16. Then he was to fill it up with all of the things that were necessary. The animals and the supplies, verses 17, or excuse me, verses 19, 20, and 21. You start to read those verses. This was an enormous task of time and effort and energy. And when you go and visit the Ark Encounter, you start to get some perspective on how enormous that task must have been. Now, I'm going to have a lot of pictures tonight, and I really appreciate the Harris's coming by on Friday to get our new bulb put into the projector because I wanted to make sure the projector was good for tonight because I've got lots of pictures. But pictures are not truly going to capture how awe-inspiring that structure is when you see it in person. But I'm hoping maybe tonight that maybe just kind of seeing Tiffany and Hattie there right next to it, that that might kind of give you some scale, that might provide you with a little frame of reference as just the sheer girth and the size of that thing. The Ark Encounter folks, they did a whole lot of research about those measurements, about what's a cubit, what exactly is the size of a cubit in our measurements. And they ended up settling on what comes out to be about a 20 and a half inch particular uh, measurement. That would be roughly, if you're an adult, the distance from your elbow to the tip of your finger for an average size arm. And so using those measurements that are given there in Genesis chapter 6, that means that that boat, it's nearly 550 feet long. That's nearly two football fields. And look at there. I've worked in football on Super Bowl Sunday into both sermons today. Good for me. It is 550 feet long, 81 feet wide, and it is 51 feet tall. I apologize. This is the one picture where my ugly mug gets put in there, but I forgot that we didn't get a picture under it to see how tall this thing was. 
Those folks used approximately 3.1 million board feet of timber. And since we don't know exactly what gopher wood was and how that parallels to our wood today, they used various forms of fir and spruce and pine. But the art folks say that this is the largest wood building in all of the world. And of course, the closer that you inch and get toward that structure, the more and more impressive it is to behold. You end up entering in from underneath. You enter from the underneath side. And you start to make your way up a series of ramps. I mean, there was a series of ramps to get up onto the ark. And once you finally get inside and you are engulfed by on every side by this structure, it just dwarfs you. You start to realize how small you are. There are within the ark, there are three decks on the interior, just according to the biblical model. And there are places where you can stand at either end of the boat and you can get kind of a long view, a big vertical view, a vertical sense of just how massive this thing is. And I'm going to tell you, it was at that moment, that center picture there, you can see Tiffany and Hattie there kind of at the side. And the reason that I had kind of let them walk on ahead and snap their picture there was because it was at that moment that I got a little bit of a lump in my throat. And the reason for that is, is because I was just overwhelmed at the thought that Noah built that. A man dedicated his life to building this kind of structure. That this man loved God so much. This man was so full of faith in the one true and living God that he devoted a significant portion of his life to carry out God's commands concerning that ark. In fact, the biblical record really goes out of its way to emphasize that point, the faithfulness of Noah over and over again. For example, look at the end of Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Drop down to verse 15. These Those are those that entered male and female of all flesh, They went in as God had commanded Noah and the Lord shut him in. Noah did not make excuses. Noah did not complain. Noah did not say, well, I can't do that. I'm an old man or whatever kind of other excuses people use. He did it. He did what God told him to do. And when you begin to start kind of touring throughout the interior of that ark, you begin to realize not just the magnitude of the of the vessel itself, the, the shell of the ark. But what about all the things on the inside and the work that went into putting all that together? What about all the all the cages for the animals and all the pots and the vessels that would have been used for, for storing water and for storing food? And I realize the Bible does not describe specifically all of those details when you consider something had to have been done. He had to have made some kind of arrangements for that. You then start to realize that this is just a monumental undertaking. And it is only a person who is full of faith that would attempt to do that. You know, how in the world do you feed all of those animals? How do you clean up after all of those animals? How do you take care of your family in the middle of all that kind of stuff and try to carry on with some semblance of daily life? This was an enormous project and Noah did it because he loved God and wanted to obey Him. He did it, think about it. He did it without the benefit of hydraulics. 
and cranes and bulldozers and electric lifts and generators and power tools. Noah did everything God told him to do. You know, I once heard a preacher describe Christianity in this way. He says, Christianity is long obedience in the same direction. And if somebody were to say, how would you describe Noah's life? I'd describe it that very same way. Long obedience in the same direction. I think that's an accurate description of Noah's faithfulness. Now, as I start to think about myself in all of that, I can't say that God has ever asked me to do anything nearly as difficult as what He asked Noah to do. In fact, I am confident that God has never asked me to do anything as physically taxing as the things that He asked Noah to do. Some of you guys that are builders and are involved in construction and have built houses and and other kinds of physical structures, you understand, first of all, just about the amount of preparation that goes into getting all the measurements and getting all that stuff prepared, getting the materials ready, and all the work that goes into just cutting the lumber and shaping it the way that it needs to be, let alone putting it all together, actually doing the very big manual stuff that goes along with that. Noah gave years of his life. In order to do just that. i got to tell you, you can't go visit that exhibit and you can't read this text and not be forced to ask yourself the question, am I obeying God? You know, what has God asked me to do? What does He expect me to do? If I were in Noah's sandals, would I have been faithful as he was? And if not, why not? In fact, that's the very reason the Hebrew writer writes what he writes in Hebrews chapter 11. Would you hold your place in Genesis? Look in Hebrews chapter 11. This passage is really important because the Hebrew writer just very clearly connects for us faith and obedience. These are not two things that are completely different and they're opposed to one another. These two things work in tandem. In Hebrews 11 and in verse 7, the writer says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his, his excuse me, the saving of his household. In other words, by faith, Noah obeyed. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You know, sometimes people talk about faith in very abstract esoteric terms. You know, faith is just this thing that's in your head. It's you know, it's just kind of in your mind. It's just this floaty thing. But when you look at something like the ark, you read about that in the Bible, you come to realize that faith must be coupled with obedience. Because real faith always acts. Real faith always does what God tells you to do. And Noah's example challenges me and it challenges all of us to ratchet up our faith so that we can be more obedient to His Word. That's not the only thing that the ark encounter impressed upon me. One of the real strengths of the ark exhibit, and this is one of the things that I would encourage folks to to go there for and really be benefited by, is the great job that the ark encounter does in showing how science and the Bible are not enemies of one another. Now, one of the most popular narratives today in our world is to say that you have to be in either this camp or the other. That you are either a person of faith, a person who believes the Bible, or you are a person of science and you believe in science. 
And of course the implications of people who make that division are very clear. That the people over here on the side of science, well, they're the smart ones. They're the ones who they look for evidence and they're into mathematical sorts of things. And they can think like these other people can't do. And they're able to observe things. And they're able to accept and use technology and discovery and all of those sorts of things. Whereas these people over here who are on the side of the Bible, well, well, these are the morons. These are the people who just can't get it, apparently. These are the people who are keeping society from being able to fully evolve as they need to. These are the folks who are foolish. They're just naive. These are the folks who obviously probably believe that the earth is flat. These are folks that are just ignorant. Now, of course, when you build a big giant exhibit that takes on the very literal interpretation of the Genesis account, what you are doing is you are then opening yourself up for all kinds of scrutiny and all kinds of ridicule from these folks over here in this particular camp. Because all of these skeptics and all of these critics and all of these atheists, they're going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to show up at your exhibit, don't you know? And they're going to come there for what reason? They are there to just wreak havoc. They are there to mock. They are there to criticize. They are there to find holes in all of your logic and your thinking. And the ark folks knew that. They were prepared for that. And the fact that I love about the Ark Encounter is the fact that they were absolutely ready to answer those critics. There was no stone left unturned. There was no objection that they were not ready to give an answer for. And so, for example, the question that maybe comes sometimes about, well, how do we know that this was a worldwide flood and not just a a localized flood? Well, they had an exhibit for that. We're ready to answer that. We've got some logical, coherent arguments. We've got some biblical thoughts to think about. We've got some scientific thoughts to think about. How those things can work together. Or somebody maybe says, well, how in the world would Noah be able to handle all of those animals and all of the waste that goes along with that on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights and even for the days beyond that before they came out of the ark? Well, the folks at the ark encounter, they're ready to deal with that. They're ready to talk about that. That, hey, here's some possible explanations for how they handled all of that. Tiffany probably, she's probably ashamed that I took this picture and she's sitting there staring really intently at the waste pictures, but I stared at that one for a long time too. It was quite fascinating. But hey, here's some ideas about how they removed the waste. Here's some ideas about how they, they cleansed and purified their water. They were ready to give an answer. Or what about the idea and the question of, well, how in the world did they get all of those animals on that boat? You know, how in the world can all of the critters, you got to put all that, two of every kind of animal, how in the world do you get every animal on that boat? It's a big boat, but how do you get them all on there? Well, it was a wonderful little exhibit about how the ark only had to have a few thousand animals because Noah only had to bring two of every kind. And animals kind, that's an important term. What that means is, is that means... That Noah didn't have to bring a cocker spaniel and a golden retriever and a bulldog and a poodle and every other kind of breed of dog that you can imagine, no. He simply had to bring two of that kind because all that then fell within that species of dog, they were represented by the two dogs that were brought on the on the ark. And in fact, that would even include, you'll notice there are some of the different things that are included in that. That would even include things like a fox. And a coyote or even a wolf, they all fit into within that kind, that classification. 
So Noah didn't have to bring nearly as many critters as people sometimes would believe, particularly the people who are over here on the side of the critics who want to just make fun and poke fun at the ark story and say, it's just not possible, it just can't happen. They were ready. They were ready to answer that. And yes, maybe the biggest one of all, folks at the ark encounter, they were ready to give an answer about dinosaurs. That does seem to be sometimes the kind of the silver bullet that non-believers want to load into their gun and they want to start shooting us with. What about dinosaurs? Well, the Ark Encounter folks, they weren't afraid of that. In fact, the folks at the Ark Encounter, they put the dinosaurs on the boat. They put the dinosaurs on there with Noah and with his wife and with his sons and with their wives and with all of the other animals on the Ark. And they offered biblical evidence, not only for the existence of dinosaurs, but they offered even biblical and scientific evidence for the coexistence of dinosaurs with humans. I point that one particularly out because sometimes it seems like Christians just get really nervous and get really scared whenever a skeptic starts talking about dinosaurs. I think there's some Christians who are just convinced that if you start talking about dinosaurs, it's just going to destroy faith. It's just going to absolutely obliterate faith in the Bible. I've even known of some Christians who have let their, or they will not let their kids watch Barney the Dinosaur. Or they won't let their kids play with Jurassic Park action figurines. Now, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do with your kids. That's your choice if you need to. But I have a real concern about folks who don't do that because they can't somehow reconcile dinosaurs and the Bible. Folks, there is extremely strong evidence, not just in the Bible, but there is very strong evidence outside of the Bible, really just almost undeniable evidence that dinosaurs existed. And what I'll say to you this evening is that if Barney the dinosaur is going to cause you to lose your faith, then you probably need to go back to point number one and you need to really think about where your faith is. What all of this says to me is that we need to be ready, just like those folks at the exhibit are, we need to be ready as Christians to give an answer. And not just on the dinosaur thing, but we need to be get ready to give an answer on every matter that it pertains to apologetics, like the things pertaining to the ark, or anything that concerns our faith and our hope in Christ Jesus. And that is one of the things that the ark encounter just really challenged me to think about. You know, in, in a very increasingly skeptical and critical world, am I able to articulate? Am I able to explain and to give an actual answer and argument and defense for what it is that I believe. Can I give an answer and a defense for my faith? Can I provide a thought-out argument to someone who might be a non-believer? You know, it's not enough, and we need to understand this, it's not enough just to say, well, well, that's just what I believe. Or, you know, that's just what I've always believed. Or, you know what, somebody told me this. My mom and dad, they taught me this, and so that's why I believe this. My preacher said, that's why I believe it. no. Would you grab 1 Peter chapter 3? In 1 Peter chapter 3, here is the charge that Peter gives to Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm reading here in verse 15. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15, Peter says there, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Other translations say to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Our God recognizes that the Bible 
makes some pretty extraordinary claims. It's true. When you start talking about the story of Noah and the flood, it's a pretty extraordinary story. There's some details in that story that are big kinds of ideas, big things that not everybody's just going to immediately just, just jump on board with that. God understands about that. And so what the Lord says is, He says, we need to be ready to explain, to defend, to answer, to be able to stand on some solid ground, develop real robust convictions that are based on evidence, and then be able to give those answers without fear. We're going to have reverent fear for the Lord. But we don't need to be afraid to give answers for our faith. And we need to instill this. I'll just throw this in as a bonus, moms and dads. He didn't instill that into our kids. You need to help them to be able to stand on their own two feet. Your kid comes to you and they ask you some things about whether it's dinosaurs or something else, apologetic related in the Bible. Don't tell them, oh, well, that's just what we believe. Don't do that. You are doing a disservice to your child. If you know the answer and you can give a reason and thought out answer that's on their level they can understand, great, do that. If you're not able to give an answer, maybe the best thing to say is, well, you know what, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. That's a whole lot better than just this, well, we just believe that because that's what we believe. No. Help them. Help them to be able to talk about that. That we can believe in the Bible, regardless of what the evolutionists say, regardless of what the Darwinian fan club says, regardless of what all the atheists say, because science and faith, they're not mutually exclusive. They can actually coexist. Real faith, real science. Finally then, as we begin to work our way up through the ark, getting near the top level there, one of the things that really dawned on me as we visited there was this idea. And that is that the account of the ark and the flood, that it's not really a kid's story. And the thing that really kind of drove that home with me was this thing. When you near the top deck, you come to a room that's referred to as the fairy tale room. Now I gotta tell you, when we approach that room, especially when you've looked at everything else, everything else just seems so realistic, and you get to that room, I thought, what on earth? In fact, some of you, Cody's looking right now like, what on earth? What is that about? The fairy tale room? What have we got ourselves into? And I thought, man, we're going to go down and demand a refund for our free tickets on this. But you go inside, and it takes a minute or two, but you start to realize what that room is all about. Because when you walk inside, not only are you, first of all, greeted with all the big bubbly caricatures, all the animals, they're all smiling and laughing, and everybody's just so happy there on the ark, but you then go inside, and you didn't see this huge collection of children's storybooks about the ark. There's even some toys. There's a big uh, ark kind of replica toy there in the center. And all these books. And of course, you've seen these books. In fact, I own, and maybe you own as well, you, we know we have some of these books in our homes, and we use them when we're uh, talking to our kids and introducing them to some concepts at a very early age. And the gist of that room, by putting all of those books with all those happy, bubbly caricatures in front of our eyes is to get us to stop and think about what is the message that that is sending. Maybe not in an overt way, but what kind of subtle message does that maybe send to people? And specifically, what kind of message subtly does that send to a child? Because what it may be doing is it may be very subtly teaching someone to think that this story of Noah and the ark, it's just a story. It's a fairy tale. It's 
fiction. It's the kind of story your mommy and daddy tells you at night before you go to bed. It's right on par with Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's right on par with the Three Little Pigs. It's right there with Little Red Riding Hood and all of those kinds of stories. It's just fiction. And I realize that none of the publishers of those books, none of them are trying to advance that idea. But you know what? The devil has a way of working his deception, doesn't he? There's this quote hanging on the left side of the wall when you enter into that room. The quote says, this is supposed to be the devil talking, that if I can convince you that the flood was not real, then I can convince you that heaven and hell are not real. In fact, not only can I convince you that heaven and hell are not real, I can really convince you that nothing in the Bible is real. Why should you take anything in the Bible seriously? It's all just made up. It's all just silly. Hey, here's just a cute little story that you can read to your kids at night before they go to bed. And that is the devil's mission. But what became clearer and clearer to me the longer that we worked our way through that ark was that, you know what? This isn't a kid's story. This is a very serious story. This is a very sobering story. Would you go back where we started in Genesis chapter 6? We read some verses that alluded to this already, but back up a little bit. If this doesn't get our attention and arrest our minds for a moment, hopefully it will on this go-round. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry. He repented that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. And so the Lord said, verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of all the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Do you know what the story of Noah and the ark is about? It is a story about the wrath and the judgment of God. And I realize that when we're talking with our kids, that we want to make that age appropriate for them. We want to be careful with the things that we say to them. Don't want them to be scared of God as a result of teaching that story in that kind of way. But for those of us that do understand, those of us that are older and mature, that's how we need to see this account. It's a story of God's wrath poured out against sin. Poured out against sinful individuals doing sinful and wicked things. And that is serious business. In fact, that's on the left-hand side of the wall in that fairy tale room. But I appreciate what's on the right-hand side of that wall in that room. Because here's the proper balance... They then quote Genesis chapter 7 and verse 23 that tells kind of the concluding thoughts of what happened at the end of the flood. That everyone died except the eight people who were on the ark. That's serious business, isn't it? You ever tried to picture and imagine how all that happened that fateful day? Once God shut them inside the ark. And the waters started to pour from the sky, and the waters and the fountains of the deep started to burst forth. What was that like? What was it like when people started knocking on the door of the ark, banging it? Let us in! We want in there! 
And more and more as the water begins to rise, people are now, they're not standing on solid ground anymore. Now they're in the water. They are floating, trying to stay afloat. And maybe they're able to swim over to get close enough to the ark to bang it. And you're Noah or Noah's wife or Shemham or Japheth or their wives. And you can maybe hear, you can make out outside the ark the screams and the cries of people who are dying. They are dying as a result of God's judgment on sin. That, that is serious business. Which is what calls me to stop and think about just how serious do I take God and His judgment and His wrath? Do, do I treat that as kind of a trivial, kind of happy-go-lucky sort of thing and put that in the context of the happy, bubbly figures in the Noah's Ark story? Or do I treat that as a serious sort of issue that has life and death, heaven and hell implications? That's the point that Peter's making in 2 Peter chapter 3. Would you turn there finally? In 2 Peter chapter 3... Peter's actually going to talk about God's final judgment and the wrath of God that's going to be poured out at that time. But he's going to introduce that by talking about the wrath of God in the days of Noah. Pick up in verse 3, if you will. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing. and They will follow their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the Word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Verse 7, But by that same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist, they are stored up not for a water destruction, They are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but He's patient towards you. He's not wishing that any should perish. That's not His desire, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. There were people in Peter's day This is there are people in our day who scoff and they laugh and they poke fun at the things that we believe and the things that we teach and the things that we say about the severity of God. No doubt that God is love. Talked this morning about God's grace, son. God does love us. But behold not just the kindness of God, behold also the severity of God. And a day is coming in which this world will be destroyed, not by flood, but it will be destroyed in fire. What a terrible and awful day that will be for those who are outside the ark, so to speak. That is outside the ark of God's safety, outside of the body of Christ. I am determined I'm not going to be found swimming in the water or swimming in the fire, if you will, banging at the last minute, Lord, let me in. 
because it isn't going to happen. And that visit to the ark encounter helped to really impress that upon my mind. Now, here's the long and short of all of this. If you get the chance to go to the ark encounter, if you can afford it, if you have the time, I'd encourage people to do it. I would go back and I would pay this time to do it and I think I would enjoy it uh, even more. But you know what? Even if you can't, or even if for some reason you're just kind of opposed to going and viewing something like that in person, that's okay. Because you know what you've got. You've actually got something that really is even better than a man-made physical structure of the ark. You've got this. You've got the account in Genesis. You've got the things that are corroborated in the New Testament that verify what's talked about in the Genesis account as being real and vivid. You can picture that in your mind and you can anticipate the day when the Lord will extend His hand of judgment one more time and be prepared for that great day. Now, let me close by sharing with you my favorite part of the whole exhibit. And it's that door at the ark. One of my favorite things about reading the Genesis account is you, you, you read the account and God gives all these instructions and Noah does all this stuff and all the animals get on there and Noah and his family gets on there and there's all this build up and then you get to the verse that says, then the Lord shut them in. And I often think about that door and how there was only one way in, there was only one way out. It was through that door. The only way you could be safe was if you came through that door. And while I did not agree with all the stuff that the ark exhibit had to show about salvation and the things that they were teaching about salvation in Christ, I do appreciate that they said some things about how that door very much is carried over into the New Testament. Because it is Jesus Himself who says, I am the door of the sheep. If we want to be in that sheepfold, if we want to be in the safety of the Good Shepherd, Got to go through Jesus. He's the door. And in fact, maybe you can even make it out there. The lighting actually kind of reflects to show a cross there on that door to just kind of be symbolic of that Jesus is our door to safety. He is the door that makes it possible for us to be able to enter into heaven. Are you ready to do that? Right now in your life, if the world were to end at this very moment, if those things we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, if they happened this very night, would you be ready for that? Would you be ready to go in to the pearly gates of heaven? If not, right now is a wonderful time to get ready. Those folks, when the flood water started, those folks who were not on the boat, at that point, it was too late. There was no more opportunities to get ready. Which is why the Bible over and over again says that now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And if we can help somebody this evening to render their obedience to Jesus the Christ, to put Him on in baptism and to become one of God's children, then we're ready this evening. Water's prepared right back here. You can be immersed into Christ and you can be saved. You can be prepared for that great day. If you are a Christian but you've not been living right, then brother or sister, you need to repent. Don't find yourself outside of the boat. Get in the boat. Be ready. Be prepared for when that day comes, whenever it may be that we can all go and be in heaven together with the Lord for eternity. Whatever your need may be this evening, we're ready to help. You just need to make it known. Do that right now as we stand and as we sing.